Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. Hey, it's my mom. Mama. And Glenn Leverins. This is Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. It's Thursday, February 22nd, 2024. Good morning and welcome back to a brand new hour of Morning Air on the Feast of the Chair of St. Peter the Apostle. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverins and the studio producer Sarah Tafoya. Thanks so much for joining us on this Thursday morning here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. If you haven't signed up for Father Rocky's Lenten Lessons on the Mass, these free daily videos, it's still not too late. You can do it this morning at relevantradio.com slash Lent. Get ready to learn the Mass, live the Mass, and love the Mass more than ever before. Now, uh, today is the Feast of the Chair of St. Peter the Apostle, in which we commemorate the office of the Supreme Universal Pastor conferred by our Lord Jesus Christ upon St. Peter and continued in an unbroken succession to this present day. I want to bring in Glenn and Sarah once again. Hey, Glenn, what are a few of the stories making headlines this hour on this Thursday morning? I might be having a little bit of trouble with your cell phone this morning. AT&T reporting some outages. Uh, they've been reported in Los Angeles, Chicago, Houston, Honolulu. About uh, 50,000 users have been impacted uh, along with some users from Verizon and, and T-Mobile lodging complaints as well. So uh, be aware of that. might not necessarily be your individual device, but uh, some problems with the network, John. Yeah, and anytime uh, that kind of thing happens, it's always a, a reminder of how dependent we are these days uh, on our uh, smartphones. Uh, you know, it, it's uh, it, it's amazing, uh, you know, to not be able to use it for a few hours and some folks, uh, you know, go into panic mode. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You just have to stay tuned to the radio for your info. And like you mentioned, uh, you know, people using it as a, a primary or backup alarm clock in the morning as well. I, I suggest you have your neighbors get some chickens. That'll do the trick. Too. <laughs> Glenn, I'll have you know that uh, my iPhone actually uh, saved me getting up in time to come to work uh, a, a little while back. It's the only time in almost three years that uh, my alarm clock did not work. We had a power outage, and when I set it up again, uh, I set it to p.m. instead of a.m. Ah. And so it didn't go off, but fortunately, the iPhone came through. Man, I tell you, in about <clears throat> 32 years of doing mornings, um, yeah, sometimes two or three alarms is a, is a good idea in the morning. Absolutely. Yes. A very valuable tool, especially for us sleepy heads. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone hey, can use a little more sleep, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Say, on the border, uh, you know, a lot of activity there. Uh, folks staying awake to, to see what's happening. And uh, the amount of uh, immigrants that have come across the border has been just uh, amazing. In the millions uh, in the Biden administration years, uh, the president now uh, taking some action, some executive action. Now, the Justice Department going to look to see if it's real, but he wants to limit migrants' ability to, to seek asylum if they've entered the U.S. illegally. Yeah, this is uh, something that obviously is a, a big uh, issue here uh, during this uh, presidential election year, the issue of immigration. In fact, the poll after poll has showed that immigration is on the minds of, of most Americans uh, uh, on both sides of the aisle in red and blue states uh, because the issue is affecting uh, states and cities all across our country, Glenn. Yeah, what's that number? Something like 7 million uh, have come in in the last uh, three years or so? Yeah, it's—well— uh, 
they speculate anywhere between seven and ten million, but the official number um, is seven point three million migrants have illegally crossed uh, the southwest border uh, under President Biden's uh, uh, watch. And uh, to put that in perspective, that number is uh, more than the population of thirty six individual states. So uh, it's it's a big number, and uh, we, we're getting those numbers from the U.S. Customs and Border uh, Protection uh, Service. So. Um, you know, it's it's going to continue to be an issue uh, as as we uh, head into uh, the primary uh, just a couple of days uh, away in South Carolina. Do you think, John, uh, folks? You know, everybody knows that we need to do it in in good order. Those that want uh, no rules and those that want uh, pretty much, you know, a forty foot fence to to go up around the country. Uh, you know, we are called to, to welcome the foreigner, but uh, it has to be done in in, in orderly fashion. Huh? It's kind of a a. a you know, a bit of debate uh, amongst the faithful, too. It is a debate among the faithful. You know, where do you draw the line between that compassion and uh, love of thy neighbor? And at the same time, just, you know, anything goes, you know, just basically open borders. Anybody can come in. No country can be a country if it doesn't have borders. Yeah, so, uh, and that's become a huge issue in the election as well uh, for both sides, and that's... Uh, why there's something you know the, the Biden administration hasn't been quick to act on that, but uh, I think they're they're seeing some of the numbers now in terms of uh, what issues are important for the election coming up. So they're uh, they're trying to trying to do some things, John. For sure. Uh, the the other story uh, that we're keeping an eye on is uh, concerning the Alabama Supreme Court. Uh, what is the latest? Well, uh, the Supreme Court in Alabama has ruled that uh, embryos created during in vitro fertilization are quote, extra uterine children and are legally protected like any other child. Uh, Supreme Court uh, of Alabama made that decision. Presidential candidate Nikki Haley asked about that ruling. She said, embryos to me are babies. I do see where that's coming from. Meanwhile, uh, sitting Vice President Kamala Harris uh, uh, called it uh, outrageous. And she thought uh, the ruling was uh, some of the chaos that they expected when uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned. Well, good for Nikki Haley. Uh, she's right on this issue for sure. And, uh, you know, this is a big issue, especially uh, for Catholics and other Christians. And so we're, we're going to have to definitely uh, address this uh, at another time in much more uh, detail. Uh, it's Thursday, so it's time for yet another edition of What's That Sound? Our number two edition. Hour number two. And if you missed hour number one, feel free to check it out on the Relevant Radio Morning Era podcast, available at least an hour. Give me an hour. Come on, guys. Give me an hour to after the show to make sure that's posted properly for you. And you can always play along at home, in the car, at any time on demand. But hey, since you're here with us now, play right now with John and Glenn and me right now with What's That Sound on Thursday. You ready, John? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. This is your uh, first uh, audio clue. Let's see if you can figure this one out. Oh, my goodness. That sounds like uh, somebody playing tennis. Oh, very good, John. Okay. Falling back and forth. Is that a game that you are familiar with? That is not one of my favorite games. I've played it a few times. I'm I'm a longtime baseball guy. You know I'm a baseball guy. I've never heard of it before. Pickleball, though, John. John, you're, you know, you're getting into that pickleball demographic now. You should check that out. <laughs> 
Well, it is a fun game, but kind of challenging. You know, it seems like when you're watching it, like how hard could it be? But I played a few times with my uh, with my kids uh, just for fun. And man, it's if it's not going over that very tall fence, which seems like it would be hard to do, but is that very easy to do multiple <laughs> times? It's maybe not what it's worth unless you're trained. So we got a little, couple lessons. Great respect uh, for uh, tennis players and the hand-eye coordination that it takes. Uh, my own experience with uh, tennis is the tennis balls. We've actually used them instead of baseballs in batting practice with my my kid when he was when he was younger you know and it was always fun to see them pound those tennis balls uh, high and far it does give you some confidence when you uh, you're like wow i'm stronger than i thought i was when you knock one of those over the fence (laughs) all right (laughs) okay here we go glenn this one's for you let's see if you can figure out this sound Could I have that again? Okay, I'll be shocked if you get it because this is very challenging, but here you go. <laughs> well, I tell you what came to mind was uh, uh, John's, uh, you know, uh, yippy little beagle chasing a, a lawnmower, perhaps. <laughs> no, it is not a dog. It is not a dog. Um, it is in this family, uh, the family of animals with this creature. Some sort of bird. Huh? Yeah, it is a tw- it is a type of bird. Um, very good. Okay. All right, play it one more time. Okay. Well, not the bird part. We'll play the this sound. Okay. I'll say a canary. Uh, no, not a canary. No, that was a, it's a very angry canary. If that is a vulture, goodness. Um, oh, you know, <laughs> that doesn't sound like it, a vulture. It, how many vultures do you know, John? How do you know? You, you know you I've have, actually seen a vulture have right you heard in front him talk of me to you? Have with a squirrel in his mouth. Okay, well, then he probably sounded different with a squirrel in his mouth. I'll say that. Well, it's <laughs> nas- <laughs> National Bird Feeder Month, and I don't think those are the kind of birds that go to your bird feeder, but... Anyways, Depends I thought it would be fun. what you put in the feeder, you know, if you're putting carrion in there, I guess. It's they might jump in, scene, you know. Yeah. I mean, the most I know about vultures is from the Jungle Book and, and you know, they, you know, like to <laughs> hang around where there's uh, the tiger showing up because they know that they're going to have some lunch later. But um, anyways, that was what that was for. And yeah, I, if anyone got that, God bless you for knowing what a vulture sounds like. <laughs> I mean, that's one of those animals you just don't hear too often at the zoo. I don't know why they don't have you them at the zoo. You learn about them in cartoons, I think, mostly. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they usually have human voices, but that's what they really sound like. So just <laughs> in case you need to know later, you're welcome. But is that how they sound on the ground or up in the sky? I think that was on the ground. But okay. you know what? I mean, I didn't actually do too much interviewing when I was recording okay. the vulture. I just tried to stay back far away. Okay, very good. <laughs> right. Okay, thank you uh, for those two. The last one, let's see if you guys can figure out um, the actor, the movie, anything from this last audio clip. E.T., phone home. Who wants to call somebody? Well, John, I'll give that one to you. How about that? Uh, I was going to give it to you. Oh, I got it. Boy. You got it. Oh, buddy. <laughs> okay, yeah, we're passing it back and forth, and, you know, the alley-oop slam dunk for E.T. Yeah. Very good. That was Drew Barrymore in one of her first, if not her first movie. Uh, today's her birthday. So happy birthday, Drew Barrymore. Thanks for being in E.T. She is 49 today. So God bless you and keep doing whatever you're doing. That's good work, I guess. <laughs>
Round you, two today was a little e. bit more more. Ch- no, I have. I okay. did not recognize. That. I mean, yeah. ET phone home is yes. the one line that usually stands yeah, out. That I was, thought it would, that was kind of a giveaway. There. I thought that was. Yeah. I mean, kind of in the title. That's okay. You know, next yeah. time, John. It's okay. Yeah, it's, I was deferring it's been a while. to Glenn. It's been a while. Yeah, you were still caught up on that vulture. You're still trying to figure <laughs> out how I recorded it, but yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I have to play it again to see how good that impersonation was. But uh, it's okay. Please, Thanks so much for playing it. What's that sound uh, today? And hey, remember, next Thursday we'll be doing it again. All right. Thanks, uh, Sarah. As always, uh, very challenging sounds uh, this morning. And thanks uh, again to uh, to Glenn. Uh, first things first, every hour we always begin in prayer, giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings. And we always pray through the intercession of our Blessed Mother Mary, the Mother of God. And, and of course, we continue to pray for peace in the world, especially in the Middle East and in Ukraine as we're coming up to that a two-year anniversary. Uh, we also pray for peace in our nation, peace in our church, and in our families as well. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death, amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio, pray for us. And we invoke the Holy Spirit uh, every morning when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Our power scripture from the playbook of life this morning is from Matthew 16, 18 through 19. Our Lord Jesus says, I tell you, you are Peter, And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. On this feast of the chair of St. Peter the Apostle, we honor the cathedra, which means the chair of the seat of St. Peter and that symbol of his authority. We're celebrating 2,000 years of successors to the Apostle St. Peter, the sign of Christian unity. Peter is the rock on which Christ established his church, and only Peter received the authority of Christ as the prime minister of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we believe that Peter and his successors are called by the Holy Spirit to lead the universal church. The Catholic Church belongs to Christ. It's His church. So we should continue to pray for the Vicar of Christ, Pope Francis, uh, the 265th successor of St. Peter the Apostle. And we always uh, pray with great confidence from the Chapel of Divine Mercy, Jesus, I trust in you. We need to take a short break. When we come back on the other side, Marcel Lejeune, the president and founder of Catholic Missionary Disciples, will join us to continue discussing how to evangelize fallen away Catholics. So uh, stay with us. There's uh, much more to come this morning here on the show on this Thursday edition of Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air. There's never been a moment I was not here. And welcome back to Morning Air on this 
Feast of the Chair of St. Peter the Apostle. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much for tuning in on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. You can send us an email directly. It's morningair at relevantradio.com. Now, do you have any family members or loved ones that have fallen away from the Catholic faith? Uh, That is the number one Prayer request here at Relevant Radio, and with good reason. Can't begin to tell you uh, about all the many uh, prayer requests that I have personally uh, prayed for in front of the Blessed Sacrament uh, from parents uh, praying for their fallen away children's and uh, some of their relatives. Uh, just one after another, I recently uh, prayed in front of the Blessed Sacrament uh, right before uh, our uh, winter pledge drive. And we, of course, we loved, uh, we love our children, we love our, our relatives, our loved ones, and we want them to be close to our Lord Jesus and eventually uh, get to heaven. For For all those listeners who have a relative or a loved one that has fallen away from the Catholic Church, please listen up. Our toll-free line, if you want to be part of our conversation uh, this morning, 888-914-9149, Joining us live from College Station, Texas, is Morning Air contributor Marcel Lejeune to continue sharing uh, how we should evangelize those fallen away Catholics and also a few things that we do not want to do. Marcel is the president and founder of Catholic Missionary Disciples, a Catholic apostolate that works with Catholic leaders to form missionary disciples who then make missionary disciples. Uh, Good morning, Marcel. Thanks so much for joining us. It's great to be with you once again. Yeah, good morning. Happy Lent. Happy Lent to you as well. You know, Marcel, uh, last month we started talking about uh, this topic and our phone lines uh, lit up like a Christmas tree and uh, we couldn't Mm -hmm. possibly deal with all the calls. And, uh, you know, like I said, with with good reason, because it is the number one uh, prayer request that that people have here on on Relevant Radio. And so we want to continue giving them, uh, you know, some tools and tips uh, on how to evangelize our uh, fallen away uh, loved ones. Uh, Can you give us just a, a quick summary of, uh, a few of the things that we chatted about last time. Yeah, one of the things I'd say is that a lot of times what we do is we assign reasons for people who leave. So, for instance, you know, I talk to Catholics all the time, and they, they, they tell me their stories too, right? When I go out and give a talk somewhere and I travel around the country, uh, the number one question I get, how do I evangelize my kids? How do I evangelize my grandkids or my friend or my niece or my neighbor? And they, they're Catholic. They don't go to Mass anymore. But a lot of times what I hear from those folks is that they tell me why I say, well, why did they leave? And they'll tell me and I'll say, well, how do you know that? And they say, well, that's what I'm guessing. And the data doesn't back up the guess. So for instance, they'll say things like, well, they're, they're now going to a Protestant church. And I'll say, well, why do you think they're going to a Protestant church instead of a Catholic one? And they say, well, I think it's because, you know, they, they like the fact that there's, you know, less liturgy and there's more entertainment and the preaching's better. But if you ask those people who left, the data and the studies tell us they didn't leave because of that for, you know, entertainment or the better preaching. What they left for is because, number one, they didn't have a living encounter with Jesus Christ. And number two, they didn't have community or felt welcomed. So these are things that the Catholics need to stop kind of interpreting for other people who have left. Um, We need to, you know those questions that they might have, you know, most of those folks aren't asking questions about things, you know, the people who don't go to church at all anymore. They left the Catholic church. They don't go to church at all. 
uh, unless it's, you know, maybe with grandma uh, when they visit her or for a funeral or wedding. That person right there, why, why do you think they stopped going to mass or stopped doing it? Well, a lot of times people say, well, they just weren't catechized well. Well, I know people who were catechized better than the average Catholic or even people that work at a church. I know, I know folks who have master's degrees and have left and stopped going to mass. So again, until we listen to people and their individual reasons, we don't know why they're leaving, and we don't know the questions they may have. Uh, the data also tells us that most people really don't care about Catholic-specific things. So for instance, most people who don't go to church don't really care about the authority of the Pope or the queenship of Mary or those things. Now, they matter to us, right? Let's acknowledge that. And they're important. It's part of the heritage and the doctrine of the church. So I'm not saying not to learn about them or not to talk about them, but that's not what they have questions about. What they have questions about is, is there truth? Um, is there meaning in life? What's my purpose? Who am I? How do I find my identity? Who is God? Does he exist? Uh, how do I know the truth if there is truth? Where do I discover it? So these huge existential questions that every human being that's ever existed has to answer at some point, those are the kind of things that people are asking. And we have to make sure that we're not filling in the blanks for folks because nobody likes to hear somebody preach at them. Nobody likes to hear somebody answer questions uh, for, or give them answers for questions they don't have. So let's start there. Let's try to listen to folks and, and, and be respectful enough to those people to actually not fill in the blanks for them. Marcel, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, not having a relationship uh, with Jesus Christ and our uh, Protestant evangelical friends oftentimes, uh, you know, talk about that personal relationship with with Christ. We have that. We have access to that as Catholics. Mm. And how much more personal can you get than receiving our Lord, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Holy Eucharist? Absolutely. And this is the thing. See, sometimes in our own Catholic heritage and our own Catholic traditions, um, we as institutional churches and, and maybe even uh, cultural Catholics have sometimes lost that tie-in with the fact that we're the ones who first discovered the fact that a personal relationship is possible with Jesus Christ, right? We're the original Christians. Um, now, our Protestant brothers and sisters in the 20th and 21st century maybe talk about it more and maybe talk about it a little bit more freely, but we have to recapture this understanding that the faith is supposed to be personal. And the way I put it is like this, that, you know, you can't inherit the faith from your parents or grandparents. You have to have it for yourself. Each individual has to do that. So God has no grandchildren. God only has children. So what we need to make sure we're doing as Catholics is helping those people who, while they're you know, in our sphere of influence, especially our children and our grandkids, is, and that while they're young, how do we help them to nurture that personal relationship in their own personal prayer? Now, you can model it. You can pray with them. You can help teach them prayer. You can help give them tools and, and techniques and things like that. But ultimately, what you have to do is try to imbue in them, you know, do you want to believe this? And if so, then choose it. Choose to go pray. Choose to do it yourself. Choose to make time for this personal relationship, because the only place it's nurtured is in personal prayer and in the sacraments. Those are the two ways you're going to, to nurture a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Without those things, uh, you can't have one. In fact, if, if somebody says, 
do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? You could say, yes, I participate personally in the sacraments, and I have a personal prayer life every day. And that would answer the question. Uh, so we, we need to make sure we're, we're kind of recapturing that sense of the fact that this is something also, while we're trying to evangelize those people who no longer have a personal relationship or those people who have left the Catholic Church and might have one, we need to be praying for them. And we need, while we don't have power to make decisions for them, God can help influence them. And our prayers can help push the, their hearts to a place because God wants to act in their life. Our prayers are powerful. Let's make sure we realize that. Um, we don't have the decision-making ability, but, but that tug of grace on the heart, it's real, and it can change things. And perseverance in our personal daily prayer for other people who are far away from God or who no longer go to Mass, it can make a difference, and we need to believe that ourselves. There is no doubt that, that prayer is powerful, and, and our prayers for uh, fallen away Catholics uh, is the number one request here at uh, at Relevant Radio, as I've been saying. And I want to open up the phone lines and invite uh, our Relevant Radio family. If you have uh, a family member, uh, a child, a loved one who has left the church, and you've been praying for them to come back, uh, we are taking your calls for Marcel Lejeune, the president and founder of Catholic. Catholic Missionary Disciples at 888-914-9149. We're only going to have him here for a limited time, 888-914-9149. Um, what about somebody who is hurt, who they feel hurt mm. by the church? You know, Father so-and-so did something or said something to me, or Sister so-and-so was really rough on me when I was in school. How do we deal with people who feel like they've been hurt by the church? Well, first of all, we need to care for them, and we need to have some empathy and sympathy and, and love for them, because the fact of the matter is we're members of the church, too. And if, if another member of the body of Christ was one that did the wounding or several members of the body of Christ did that, you know, that hurt, then we need to apologize. Um, and we can do so on behalf of the church. We can say, I'm sorry that happened to you. And on behalf of the church, I'm sorry. Um, we, we never want to dismiss that hurt uh, because being dismissive of it, then sometimes you, you, don't, you didn't feel that maybe, but they did. And it was a deep thing. So let's acknowledge that it exists. Let's apologize for that. And then let's, let's try to care for the person and try to build back trust. And here's the thing, basic human trust. I trust, I trust that John is somebody who is trustworthy as a Catholic. That might differ from the person who hurt me. So you're going to have to help build back that trust in, okay, the Catholic Church is trustworthy. And, and that is a difficult proposition in, for some people who've been deeply wounded. So let's care for the person. Let's put time into that. And this is where Pope Francis' idea of accompaniment really starts to take some roots. Um, it means walking with people and, and being there for them and caring for them in their time of need and praying for them and with them. And when God opens those little doors to be able to do other things, like give your testimony, proclaim good news to them, invite them to something, and, and most importantly, invite them to your house uh, so that that relationship can grow. Those are the kind of places where you want to start to care for people. Yeah, and the last thing I would say is this. If you, too, have experienced hurt from the church, then you can, you can also give that personal testimony. What about a few things that we don't want to do when we're trying to bring mm -hmm. our loved ones back to the church? 
Yeah, absolutely. The, the number one one that I tell people is you don't want to nag. Um, you don't want to rant. You don't want to be too critical. And this is, you know, look, I'm a parent. I got five kids and most of them are young adults at this point. Um, and, and when they make a mistake or do something that you don't agree with, what's the number one? Come on, what are you doing, man? I mean, and, and you don't want to do that with them because it, then it, it becomes, oh, well, mom or dad disagree. They're negative, you know. What, and we have to try to avoid that because that, as much as you want to nag or tempted to, that, that complaining, that arguing, that ranting, it just doesn't help. It drives people away. And the last thing I'll tell you is, you know, God's timetable is not always our timetable. So uh, that patience and that perseverance is necessary to be able to help bring other people back. It's, it's a hard thing to grow in, but while you're praying for perseverance and patience, understand that God might also be trying to do something in you and, and to help you grow in your own holiness so that you're even a better witness to the beauties of Catholicism and what it means to love Jesus Christ. Well, these are all really good ideas. And uh, where can our listeners uh, read your full uh, blog on how to evangelize fallen away Catholics? Yeah, you can go to catholicmissionarydisciples.com. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get off the phone here with you guys, and I'm going to pray for the people who are listening right now, because I know there's a lot of hurt hearts out there. Marcel, as always, uh, really appreciate it. Thanks so much. God bless. Marcel Lejeune, the president and founder of Catholic Missionary Disciples. We need to take a short break. When we come back, journalist Dr. Anatoly Babinski, a research fellow at the Institute of Church History at Ukrainian Catholic University, will be with us to discuss the two-year anniversary of the war in Ukraine. So stay with us as we're headed down the stretch on this Thursday here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. This is Morning Air. Your home for faith, fun, and news in the morning. On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Got that sunshine in my pocket. And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks for tuning in here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. As always, you can send us an email directly. It's morningair at relevantradio.com. Now, today, as we've been talking about February 22nd, the Catholic Church is celebrating the Feast of the Chair of St. Peter the Apostle. It's a celebration of the papacy and of St. Peter the Rock, the first bishop of Rome. What is the meaning of this chair, and what is the biblical basis for the papal authority of St. Peter and his successors? Uh, earlier this morning here on Morning Air, we spoke with Father Dominic Bauck, uh, a priest of the Diocese of Bismarck. He's a chaplain, director of uh, university ministry, and assistant professor of Catholic Studies at the University of Mary. Here's my conversation uh, with uh, Father Dominic. Good morning, Father Dominic. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it is a blessing uh, to be with you for the first time on this special feast day. Yeah, good morning. Happy feast. Uh, Father, can you explain for us uh, what uh, is uh, the chair of Peter? Yeah, it's a great feast day because it celebrates an inanimate object. Usually, you're celebrating a person, but in this case, it's a it's a piece of furniture. But uh, if you go to St. Peter's in Rome, you would expect to see maybe a picture of St. Peter 
uh, at the end of the church, kind of the focal point. But instead, you get this giant bronze chair that uh, Bernini built, which inside of it, they have a historical chair that traditionally is thought to have been actually used by St. Peter himself. But the the image is pretty striking. It's a chair um, being held up by the power of the Holy Spirit that's coming in through that front of the, that alabaster window. Uh, and it's there's no one in particular sitting on it. Um, and, you know, traditionally being seated was the sign of authority, like a throne. And it was this uh, notion that the authority that God gave to the Apostle Peter is passed down to whoever sits in that chair. It's that charism of leading the church that's by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, this charism is given to men just like Peter, who are ordinary men, uh, who have the responsibility of leading the church on earth that's given to them in a particular way uh, by the Holy Spirit. And anybody who's had uh, the joy of visiting St. Peter's uh, Basilica can see the chair at the at the very uh, end uh, of the back of, of St. Peter's uh, underneath uh, the beautiful image of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it is a, a magnificent uh, reminder of, of the uh, authority of the of Peter and his successors. Yeah, Matthew 16 is one of these great verses, especially as Catholics, we should know, I mean, all Christians should know it, but but when Peter tells Jesus that he's the Christ, the Son of the living God, he says, you know, blessed are you, Peter, for it's my Father who revealed it to you. And, and he gives him the keys of the kingdom of, on, uh, of uh, heaven on earth. And he says, you know, whatever bind, whatever sins you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And he says that he's the rock on which the whole church is built. And then you, you, you chart the course of, I think Peter's one of the great, figures of the New Testament, you know, where he's, he's got these ups and downs. He's just an ordinary guy, but there's this huge transformation that happens to him. Not at that moment, you know, because immediately after he tells Jesus not to go to Jerusalem to suffer and die. And then Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. So it's not immediately that it's like revealed how this is going to go, but the difference between Peter who denies him so cowardly uh, has that experience with him on the shore where Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me three times to heal his three denials? And then, uh, in the upper room, uh, the Holy Spirit descends upon him and transforms him into someone completely new. Or just moments later, he's on the the balcony in Jerusalem preaching the the full gospel, the full gospel message, the kerygma. And then the people say, "What should we do?" And he says, "Repent to be baptized." And it says thousands of people were baptized that day. And then uh, the the whole story of the Acts of the Apostles, that especially the first chapters he's clearly the leader of the church in rome or the church in jerusalem like and and the church that eventually expands to the whole world like it's very clear from reading that that he's in charge and it's not because of his sort of inborn natural gifts it's because of the gifts of the holy spirit that descended upon him at pentecost which is a very radical departure from the guy who on the boat said to jesus depart from me lord for i'm a sinful man it's this whole like this great story arc in the Gospels, and it's all by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we can really see ourselves in that uh, in terms of Peter's own Christian conversion, uh, but then in terms of the particular charism that he's given to to be in charge of the church on earth, how that's what the Holy Spirit can do uh, to an ordinary man, which is, it's a little different. You know, you get John the Beloved. It's, it's not that Peter's the, the one that Jesus loves the most, <laughs> you know, necessarily, at least in terms of like that, Sort of way in which we see it. You have the the Virgin Mother of God. You have Saint John, who is faithful all the way through the cross. 
you know, but Peter's got this particular ministry of leading the church. Uh, and that's obviously carried on in those successors to this day. And uh, we, are, we are honoring the authority that was given by our Lord Jesus Christ uh, to St. Peter. And, uh, you know, you, you, uh, you mentioned uh, that uh, beautiful scripture from Matthew 16. It is Peter who is being named the rock on which Jesus builds his church. It's, it's Christ's church, but, but he's calling Peter the rock and he's giving him the keys of the kingdom. Can you talk a little bit further, breaking down just that scripture alone where it is chalk filled with symbolism uh, and that authority that we're honoring today. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to add this insight. Uh, the sometimes rock is sturdy and we, you know, can kind of build a church on that. And that's like the obvious metaphor there, but sometimes like rock comes from volcanic activity, you know, like the, the state of Hawaii was made from a lot of earthquakes and volcanoes, but it's still that solid rock. And, and I think sometimes today people can, experience maybe some more of that volcanic activity in that uncertainty, but in God's providence that that's how he makes rocks sometimes. Um, and we feel the church shaking, you know, uh, I think it was innocent the third who had the, the dream that the church was falling down. And, uh, the, the Franciscans and Dominicans have different versions of this <laughs> in the, in, in East Surrey, St. Francis and or St. Dominic are the ones who kind of appear in his dream to hold up that shaking church. And, uh, you know, that's a successor of St. Peter to say, sometimes that, that church foundation seems a little shaky, but it's just in God's providence how he's working things out. Uh, and I think it's really important, you know, working with people <clears throat> who can sometimes think that shaking is, is uh, the, the, like an existential threat to the church. It, the, the, that's not possible. You know, Jesus says the gates of hell shall, shall not prevail against it. There's a priest by John Ricardo in Michigan who <laughs> I've been hearing this. This I know him well from my Michigan yeah. days, Father. <laughs> yeah, he, he gave, I've heard him give a few presentations, and he talks about how the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Uh, and he's like, since when do gates like go on the offensive? And I was like, I never thought of that. The church is the one moving, like, in, in, in liberating the soul's from damnation and it, it's the gates of hell that won't withstand the onslaught of the church. Sometimes we get this sort of fragile image of the church that even on its rocky foundation, it feels shaky. This is the church is the, you know, the, the old phrase church militant, you know, it's this, this power of the Holy spirit in, in frail human flesh that's charging through the powers of evil of this world. And we need to have confidence in that. I think sometimes people get so fragile and like, Oh, the church is falling apart. It's like on one hand, the church has always been falling apart. If you read the letters of St. Paul or the Acts of the Apostles, there's always a certain fragility and instability in it, whether it's power uh, that are powers that are persecuting it from without or internal division and, and fighting, you know, that first council of Jerusalem that Peter and Paul were at. Like there was a lot of shaking going on. But we have to have confidence in that church. We say in the Creed, I believe in the church, not just that it exists, but I believe in it. I trust it. And that uh, there's there's real power in it, not this existential threat that the church is falling apart and might be gone someday. Jesus says, you know, that, that nothing will nothing will destroy that church, and it's going to be here until he gets back. You know, Father Dominic, I, I have in front of me the the list of all the popes, and it's quite impressive when you go all the yeah. way back <laughs> to Saint Peter, all through the centuries uh, to this present day, uh, to uh, Pope Francis. Uh, 
number 266 uh, with uh, Pope Benedict, uh, of course, before him and uh, uh, John Paul the Great uh, before him. And the one thing that when I when I think of this succession, uh, the one thing in recent years is the love that young people uh, have for the Holy Father, for the successor of St. Peter. It doesn't matter whether it's JP two or uh, Pope mm-hmm. Benedict or even today, uh, Pope Francis, the young people, you know, just come to see him. Uh, you know, they, they love him. They, especially if you see it at World Youth Day. Uh, I know you work with uh, young folks there at the University of Mary. Uh, your perspective on just uh, the love and the admiration uh, that the youth have uh, for the successor of St. Peter. Yeah, when I was 12, I went on a parish pilgrimage to Rome, so I got to see St. John Paul the Great, which is cool to say, like, I saw a saint with my own eyes. I know a lot of people have stories about him, but, you know, it was really moving to see that. Um, yeah, I think, you know, what young people are really starved for today is meaning in their lives. A lot of times they come from a certain level of material affluence or, or uh, you know, comfortability. And, and so that kind of answers that part of their life. But then it's like, what more is there? Uh, and the Pope, it, you know, I think JP2 is so good at, like, what George Bush the senior called, like, the soft bigotry of low expectations. I think that's pretty, like, endemic to our society today, where he wasn't afraid to call young people on to hire and say, I expect a lot of you because God expects a lot of you. But he did it in this joyful, winsome, sort of full-of-life way that didn't say Christianity is a, a sort of, removal of things from your life it's it's an unlocking for the true freedom that you have when you find the truth and that truth is a person who loves you so what what kids want is this relationality and the the pope is a person you know just like god's a person three persons father son holy spirit the the pope is this person the vicar of christ uh and and, uh what, what kids want is like meaning but also relationship and they they want that meaning to come by means of like a person who knows them and loves them and they want to be known. They want to be chosen. They want to be loved. They want to be seen. And there's that notion that like, here's a guy on earth who actually knows me. You know, you know, it's, it's, you see world youth day or whatever. And it's like, obviously there's a ton of faces there, but just when I, we take students from the high school and from the college to Rome every year. And like, just the fact that when the Pope drives by, he makes eye contact with them. It means the world to them. And they don't know maybe even any details of his life. Uh, and he probably doesn't know any details of their life, but it, it's that knowledge of like, I'm, I'm a person who's made to be in a relationship with God both now and forever. And here's the guy whose like job it is to make that happen and also be that for me in a, in a sort of mediated way. Uh, and he cares about me and he's praying for me and, uh, he's leading that church on earth. That's the church militant. He's the, the supreme commander there and he he's the supreme commander of, of loving me. And so in a world that's like where they feel so lonely and unseen and where social media is just kind of a, a stand in for that, they actually know that, Hey, some guy is on my side and he he's fighting on the world stage for me and against the powers of Satan and the evil one. It's pretty remarkable. Like even my love for the Pope has increased seeing young people see him in like a Wednesday audience or whatever. It's like, wow, this means a lot to them. Just that white Catholic and the Zucchetto, you know, it's like really speaks to their heart. And that was uh, my uh, earlier conversation in hour number one of uh, our show uh, with uh, Father Dominic Buck. 
the chaplain and director of the university ministry and assistant professor of Catholic studies at the University of Mary. Of course, you can learn much more about the University of Mary. Just visit cometomary.life. And uh, it's a special day for us as Catholics, this Feast of the Chair of St. Peter, in which we honor uh, St. Peter and his successors. We have 2,000 years of uh, successors of the Apostle St. Peter, this visible sign of unity. And We remember that Peter is the rock on which our Lord Jesus Christ established his church. It is his church. He is uh, the prime minister of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as Catholics, we need to continue uh, to pray for uh, the vicar of Christ. Uh, Today we pray for Pope Francis, the 265th successor of the Apostle St. Peter. So uh, that was a fascinating conversation uh, with uh, Father Dominic, and uh, it is now time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today called Dead or Alive. Looking back now, I'm confident we, we made the right decision, even though it was hard to give up the ultimate goal. It was the most anticipated day of the expedition. The sun was beaming, ever so perfect weather only making the summit push more enjoyable. The group was in high spirits as we got closer to our goal. The circumstances were almost too ideal, a premonition that things might change. I was leading the group and all of a sudden I spotted something in the snow that stood out. Instantly I knew it was the body of a climber. What I could not determine though was whether or not the person was alive. I waved to the group to follow me as I went to evaluate the situation. As it turns out, it was a climber who was alone and needed to be rescued. Immediately, the situation arose, reminding me of the infamous Lincoln Hall case. When he attempted Everest in 2006, he was inflicted with altitude sickness and had to stop climbing. Although the Sherpas tried their best to rescue Hall, when they ran out of oxygen, they had to retreat down the mountain. This left the other climbers in the group with the thought that he was dead. They made the dreaded phone call to his family and everything. Luckily, Hall was found the next day by another group of climbers. They stopped their pursuit to the summit to help him and make sure he was assisted by a group of Sherpas. This generous action saved the life of Lincoln Hall. It was obvious that the climber was close to death, and if we might not be able to save him, it would be bad news. Other members from our group thought we should just continue our push to the summit and help him on the way down. There wasn't time for that. I acted as a true leader and sacrificed the summit, which was in sight, to help get him down the mountain. Though it sounds silly, you must use the life lesson, treat others the way you want to be treated in all aspects of life. If I were stranded and in need of rescue, I'd hope others would do the same for me. We got the man down the mountain and ended up saving his life. While some were angry at the time, we're all in agreement it was the right decision. The summit will always be there, while a man's life will not. Matthew 7, 12, whatever you wish that men would do to you, do so to them. As always, thanks so much, uh, Glenn. All during this Lent, we invite you to pray and watch the Family Rosary Across America with Father Rocky and Maggie at 7 p.m. Central tonight and every night of the week here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. That'll do it for this Thursday, February 22nd, 2024 edition of Morning Air. For Glenn Leverance, producers Sarah Tafoya, Gabby Burke, and our entire Morning Air team, I'm John Morales. Thanks so much for joining us. Pray for our Holy Father. Pope Francis uh, today on this Feast of the Chair of St. Peter. Let your light shine before all. God bless America. We'll see you tomorrow on the next Morning Air. The Patrick Madrid Show is straight ahead.